thought I was finished with Leviticus, but I, I want to go and just look at some things in three chapters. We're just going to go through them relatively quick. This will be chapter 24, 25, 26. Uh, some things that some of you may know and you may not have uh, really looked at any of it. And then chapter 26, when we get to it, there's something there that I, I thought was just really, really good for, for me. I mean, when I saw it, you know how that is. But uh, chapter 24, this begins and deals with the lampstands in the holy place. And we're going to begin in a verse, well, let's read... Jim, verses 1 through 6. 24. 24, yeah. Then I'll come back and look at some of these verses, just real quick. No, that's, that's one whole class. We can do a class on those verses, believe me. But uh, let's go back here to uh, verse 2. Now, the oil that he's talking about here is, is olive oil. Now, whenever you go to the store and you see a container of olive oil, and it says pure olive oil, what they do is 100% virgin olive oil. They press that, and the first pressing is the, the pure olive oil. Then what they'll do is they'll press it again, and then they'll label it olive oil, which is not as good of a grade as the virgin. But I don't know if you're aware of this, but that is not the purest form of olive oil, the first pressed olive oil. The purest form of olive oil is seen in verse 2, where he says to crush the olives or to beat the olives, and what they would do would, would be uh, probably similar to like you would get a mortar and pestle and just, you know, you know, crush them. And when you crush them and you let them sit, the natural oil, as soon as you crush them, starts to, to flow out. So you're not really pressing it and getting some of the impurities that you would get in that oil. It's pure oil, and that's what the Lord tells him to do. And let me read that from... The Amplified, command the Israelites that they bring to you pure, ol pure olive from beaten olives for the light of the golden lampstands to cause the lamps to burn continually. So that was the, the thing that they were commanded to do. Now remember, we said before, and we'll get to this in a little bit, that the people had to provide, when we were looking at the meal offering, they had to provide the fine flour. They had to take the flour and go through the process to make it fine flour. But also, the people had to be involved in this. They had to go and do this to provide the oil for the priests who were to burn, actually Aaron, who would uh, burn the lampstand in, in the holy place. So the thing I want you to see there, the thing that's important to see is that the people of God are involved in the work of God. They have, there's something to be done. The Lord lays it out. And now the people have to step forward and, and do what the Lord is, is telling them to do. In this case, it would be with, with the, um, the pure oil and the, um, and we'll get to that in a few minutes, the fine flour. So it is today with the Christian, you know, God will command or show, however you want to say it, He will, will bring things to light in your life, and He will show you a direction, He'll show you what He wants you to do. 
And, and many times, uh, you know, the Lord will bring a person out into service because that is what is to happen. When God works in us, it's, it's to come out. But anyway, the people furnished the oil and the fine flour for the showbread. Now, verse 3, Without the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation shall Aaron order it from the evening unto the morning. So you have Aaron here, who was the high priest. He was the one that was in charge of the lampstands and burning the lampstands. He was in charge of all that. And that is a type, of course, of Christ who is in charge of the lampstands also. And he's the one that takes care of the lamps today. Shall Aaron order it from evening unto the morning before the Lord continually? It shall be a statute forever in your generations. So that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he says that ye are lights in the world. And then if we would take time to go to Revelation chapter 1, you will see that John in his, his vision there, he's taken you know, into this place and he, he sees seven golden lampstands and he sees the Lord Jesus walking amongst the lampstands. So all this, that even that that we see in Revelation, the typology comes out from Leviticus. I am so surprised. I've told Linda this uh, last couple of weeks. I've been still continuing to look at some things in Leviticus. I can understand. I never believed this one. I remember hearing someone say this years ago, that Leviticus is probably the most important book of the Bible. And I thought, are you kidding me? But if you would really get in and start to study chapter, 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 all the way through and study it, you start to see that all these things in the Bible all over the place all flow back and, and just you know, dovetail with what we see here in the book of Leviticus. So the oil, as we know in the scripture, it represents what? The Holy Spirit. So, so the oil in the lamps in the holy place was used to illuminate the holy place just as the Holy Spirit today, as he burns, so to speak, in your life, he will bring illumination there so that you will be able to see and understand and perceive and, and so on. So all these things move together. Now in verse 4 it says that the lamps would be burning continually. Now, NIV, you have the NIV, right? Jamie? NES. You have NIV? Okay, one second. Of course, you know, think about this. When they're going through the wilderness, the lamps aren't burning. They're not carrying a lamp burn, see. Uh, what, what it's speaking about here is tending to the lamps. And what they would do, did I give Exodus 30 to someone? No. When Exodus 30, it talks about the high priest, and he goes in, and he, in the evening, he burns incense, and he, he trims the lamps, lights the lamps, and then in the morning, he comes before the morning offering, he offers incense, and then he, he checks the lamps, etc. But they're to burn continually overnight. What's the NIV say in verse 4? 4 or 24? Yes. Continually. There. 
It's talking about tending the lamps continually, not that they're, they're going to be burning 24-7. So when I first read it, that's what I thought it was talking about. It was always lit, but that's not uh, quite accurate. Aaron had to tend them, and he did that in the evening and in the morning. Now, there's another thing I want to draw your attention to. In verse 4, where it says, the pure candlesticks. Now, remember, in the book of Revelation, the candlesticks represent what? Thank you. They represent the churches. So that the church is to be burning with a purity... Uh, uh, being a light, so to speak. But see, as the Holy Spirit, who is the pure Spirit of God, begins to work in the life of individuals, then that purity that is in Him is to be a part of us who are a part of the church. So, so, so you have all this here again moving together where there is to be a pure burning of the pure lampstand individually and corporately, moving out from the church so that others will see the light, see the gospel, etc. Now, in verse 5, thou shalt take fine flour and bake 12 cakes thereof. It's in, he goes on through verse 7. Thou shalt set them in two rows, six on, on a row upon the pure uh, table before the Lord, and thou shalt pour pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be a, a memorial, etc. Now, um, at, just as the oil in the previous verses represented the Holy Spirit, in these verses you have the bread which speaks of Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And remember, the people, again, had to, to be involved. They brought the fine flour. So there's, all, there's always, God always involves his people in, in most everything. Okay, and, and also, it says here to, that they were to bring pure frankincense, which would mean that they would take that in its form, it's, it's like a gum, a thick gum, and, and then what they would do is they would take the frankincense, and they would compound that and make it into an incense, which was a, a secret formula. But once again, there is something that the people were involved in doing. Now, doing is not our salvation. We know that. But as God works in your life, the normal progression is that you will want to do something for God. And then all you need to do then is to find out what he wants you to do. And do it. So there's always uh, involvement in this. Now, verse eight and nine, it talks about every every Sabbath he shall. Speaking of Aaron, set it in order. It's talking about the showbread before the Lord continually. Uh, and then in verse nine, it says, uh, "And it shall be Aaron and his sons." So what would take place is that every Sabbath. They would, they would bake bre new bread, they would take it in there, Aaron would take it in there, and he would replace the bread that was there on, on a table of showbread. And he would take that, the bread that had been sitting there, and that bread was to be uh, eaten by Aaron and his sons. 
so there's two things here that I see that are necessary or involved in, in service for God. One being uh, the light to illuminate. See, see, that is necessary in your life. See, walk in the light as he is in the light. See, the light for illumination is necessary in service. And the second thing is feeding upon the bread. You and I must feed upon the bread of life. We must feed upon Christ or we will do damage in service. If there's not illumination and there's not the proper feeding on Christ, your service for God and my service for God... um, our doing, our works, will be corrupted. There will not be a flow that is, is um, what God really wants to do what he wants done in our, our lives and not from our lives. So you have to have both of those things. Now, in chapter 24, from verse 10 through verse 23... Now, I don't know whether you ever noticed this when you uh, had read Leviticus or if you have noticed it as we were going along. There are only two, this is the only book in the Bible that is like this. There's only two incidents in this entire book. Everything else in this book deals with laws, um, the tradition, the statutes, and so on. There's only two incidents in this book. One of them, everybody's probably familiar with is Nadab and Abihu and what happened with them. This here is the second incident and the only other incident in the entire book of Leviticus. Now, um, we're not going to read all this. We're going to just read a couple verses. Verse 10. And the son of an Israelitish woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel. And this son of the Israelitish woman and a man of Israel strove together in the camp. So, um, here you have this father, this, 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 this boy whose father was an Egyptian and the mother was an Israelite. Uh, in, let me read this, uh, Exodus twelve thirty-eight, And a mixed multitude went up also with them. That's from when they were in Egypt. And flocks and herds, and, and herds even very much cattle. So, so you have this mixed multitude that goes up uh, with the Israelites into to the land of, or the, actually the wilderness first. And then you have certain things transpire there. Who has numbers 11? Okay, four through six. Fellow lusting, okay. Okay, that's good. So the, there again you see uh, in numbers it talks about the mixed multitude. Now the mixed multitude would be uh, some Egyptians maybe that saw what God did and decided to go out with the Israelites. Or it could have been uh, people in Egypt from other nations, uh, other races, who decided also to go out. But the point is, they went, they went out with them. And that becomes a source of of problem and difficulty because the mixed multitude, you'll see this uh, in the Pentateuch, where they're, ta- they're talking about the rebellion, that it seems that the mixed multitude's always there 
almost out front in, in this thing, in the, the rebellion and the things that they, they desire and want. And then the other people move right in with that. Now, whether this boy had his father there, it's possible that um, the mixed multitude could have referred to the son leaving with his mother and the father, who was Egyptian, stayed behind. Either way, for some reason, there was this influence in this child, and something takes place. In verse 11, And an Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed, and they brought him unto Moses, and his mother's name was etc., and so on. So here's the problem here now, that this, this boy is a son from the mixed multitude that we read about. And it says that he cursed and he blasphemed the name of the Lord. So now they're going to decide what to do with him. Verse 16, And he that blasphemed the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as the stranger, etc. Now, if that, that one thing there was enacted today, how many people just in this country would be slain? You know, a lot of your co-workers would be dead if God would enforce this today. And there's reason why, but we're dealing with Israel as a theocracy. That's a type of government which we don't have, and there's no other country in the world that's like that today. But the problem was that because of the mixed multitude, there was something in his heart that at a particular point was manifested, and that thing brought out, God says, needs to be dealt with, that uh, blaspheming and cursing the name of God, if you'll remember, that the high priest had, you know, on his, uh, the uh, turban, holiness unto the Lord, and those are not just words. God was serious about that. Uh, verse 23, And Moses spoke uh, to the children of Israel, that they should uh, bring forth him that had cursed out of the camp, and they stoned him with stones. So the Lord here was pretty serious when it comes to, you know, taking his name in vain. Um, so he, he protected his name against blasphemy. And I had some other verses, but we're not going to look at them because of the time. Now let's move... So that's, that's basically what we see in chapter 24. The lampstands, the showbread, and this incident. Now remember, going back just for a second, with the lampstand. The illumination in the holy place was because of the pure oil being burnt in the lampstands. So that illumination... Today, for you, for me, comes by the Spirit of God, the oil, the pure oil. And by that pure oil burning within you, everything should be done in light of that illumination. So that what you do in your life 
is to come out from that, if you're understanding what I'm saying. Okay, now, let's move on to chapter 25. Now, chapter 25 are the laws related to the promised land. You have the sabbatical year, and you have the year of Jubilee. Now, in verse 1, And the Lord spoke unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Now, um, remember the seventh day was the Sabbath. The seventh day was made for man, where man, God decided, needed a day where he did not work and he could rest, doing no work on the Sabbath. The sabbatic year here deals with the land. It's for the land. Well, it's indirectly for man, but he does this for the land. Um, the seventh, as I said, the seventh year was for the land. And, and what we're reading in this whole chapter deals with the land. Here, here's an example. The word land, as it relates to uh, the uh, land of Cana, is mentioned 15 times in Leviticus 25. And here's a couple uh, examples. When you come into the land, rest unto the land, Sabbath of the land, you shall dwell in the land, in all the land of your possession. So th these laws here in this chapter could not be enforced until the children of Israel came into the land. When they were in the wilderness, these laws could not be changed or modified for the wilderness. They only apply when they come into the land. Are you, you understanding this? There are certain things that do not apply to the Christian who has not pushed forward to some degree and inherited the land spiritually, the land that you are to inherit. There are good things in this chapter that do not apply unless a person is in the promised land. See, we think that everything applies to everyone as Christians sometimes. You just open it up and read a verse and say, oh, okay, that applies to me. Do you know that in Hebrews it talks about rest? There remaineth yet a rest under the people of God. Maybe I won't write this down. You can write it down if you want. That word rest, we always think of it as being the Sabbath rest. That is true. But do you know what the Sabbath rest is? The Sabbath rest is meaning the seventh day, which was the Sabbath. It means the sabbatical year which was the seventh year, and it means the year of Jubilee, which, which was uh, the 50th year. Seven years of, of, of the sabbatical year. So that all three of those are considered the Sabbath, not just one. All three. 
So that when you take this from Leviticus and you bring this over into Hebrews and you start to read some of these verses in Hebrews now, it takes that, that Sabbath rest and makes it much broader than just the seventh day. Now, let's look at, let me see, verse 3. I was going to say 7, but let's go to 3. Six years uh, thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyards and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor, nor prune thy vineyard. So the seventh year, there was a rest. There was no planting. There was no uh, pruning of the, of the uh, vineyards. There was no harvesting of the corn. There was no harvesting of the wheat. There was no picking of uh, the, the, the grapes and um, the prunes, the, the um, figs. All that was to, to be let alone on the seventh year. Well, I'll tell you what, when I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, this would be actually pretty nice if every seventh year you could just kick back and do nothing, if you know what I'm saying. You wouldn't have to go to work. But see, the, the, the children of Israel and, and us too at times, we think and look at things logically. Now, logically, why let the fields rest and, and plant nothing when we can plant them and reap the harvest and sell it? That's economically illogical. Why not make use of the land? Why not, you know, use the money? Oh, we'll do it and we'll, you know, give 50% of it away. See, you see... The logic of man gets him into trouble. And I wanted to go into Isaiah where it says, my ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts, but we don't have time. One of the big problems, if we get to chapter 26, with the Israelites was that they did not do this. The seventh year, because they obeyed God six years, and they planted and they pruned. They, did, they worked the land the way God said to do it. Because they did that, the seventh year, if they, and of course they did this at, at times, but they didn't follow through with this thing. They let the land go, and things drew up on their, on their own. And, and what they would do, and there's a verse here, it says, um, where is it? Verse 6, And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee, and for thy servant, and for thy maid, and for thy hired servant, and for the stranger that sojourneth with you. So that the, the, because they obeyed God, there was such an increase in the land. The land was so fertile that the seventh year they didn't have to do anything to it, and things would grow up, and it would be enough to supply their family. It would be enough to supply their neighbors. This is talking about the landowner. And, and the poor people and the strangers. There was enough there to, 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 you know, enough of an increase to give everyone. 
If you and I obey God, there will be an increase, and that increase will be enough to supply your needs and probably the needs of others. You know, in the South, uh, for years, years ago, they planted cotton year after year after year after year after year. Cotton, cotton, cotton. You know, there's cotton um, plantations. You know that, that some of that land was so bad that, that they could not grow anything in that land anymore. And see, now, I mean, I believe that if they let the land rest, that it will come back. Not only they, they do this crop, they used to do crop rotation, but that's not as good as what God says. It's better than planting something every year. Then the wisdom of man says, well, we'll create chemicals, and oh, everybody wants a, the big thing in the 60s. <laughs> Show my age. Miracle Grow. Do you know Miracle Grow is a chemical? You put, you put that on your plants, that's a chemical. Don't do it God's way. God says, let the land rest. Throw some manure down and let it rest. You know, that's what you should be doing. But see, they, they didn't want to listen to what God, God said. They, they used their mind and said, that doesn't sound logical when we could produce, you know, have this crop and produce this food and what have you. So obedience to the Lord will bring about great productivity, spiritually speaking. That's a key for, for us today. Verse 8. Now we're moving. That's the sabbatical year. Okay. Now in verse... Let me see here. Well, verse 8, if you read verse 8, uh, it says, Thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee seven times seven years and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years um, shall be unto thee forty and nine years, or forty-nine years. So once again, God deals with his number, his number seven. And, and you know, he's always moving toward completeness. He's moving toward uh, the things drawing to a close or an end at the end of the age. And then he moves on toward new beginnings, uh, the, the new millennial, the new uh, heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. You always see this. This is just a, a progression here. It's all, all tied into this. Um, and we're not going to look at Isaiah 35. Okay, now ver verse 9 begins the year of Jubilee. Jubilee means blowing the trumpet. This word is related to the ram's horn. Who knows what the ram's horn's called? The shofar. <laughs> okay, let's just move on. Um, now, let's see, verse 9 and 10. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement. Uh, shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land, and ye shall hollow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants. That's actually an inscription on where? The liberty bell, by the way. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. So 
if a person would mortgage their property or they would sell their property, on the year of Jubilee, everything reverts back to the original landowner. God made it so they could not be taken out of that land. The land could not be just sold away. They couldn't have a big corporation, so to speak, come in and buy all the land. The 50th year, it all would revert back to the original landowner um, so that the land could not permanently be taken away from the people. On, on the 50th year, all slaves were set free. All property would go back. I mean, that would be something great to celebrate, wouldn't it? If your property would come back to you after all those years. Could you blow the shofar? What about the landowner? The, the, the guy that you mortgaged your property to? See, now this is the way I think God redistributed, so to speak, the wealth, you know, he would, he would take care of the poor is a better way of saying it, by doing this. Now, in Romans 6, I want to touch on this real, real quick. Verse 18. Being then made free from sin, ye become the servants of righteousness. Uh, verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and so on. It's talking about the year of Jubilee where the captive is set free. See, we were captive to sin, and now God, through Jesus Christ, has set us free. It's like the year of Jubilee. John 8 you don't have to turn there. And if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And then you, if you go to Isaiah, uh, where it says that he has come to, pro to proclaim, um, how does it say that, to, to set at liberty those, the captives, etc., to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's talking about the year of Jubilee, again. So if... Christians today want to run around with a, a literal ram's horn and blow it and celebrate. But do you know that, that that word jubilee uh, in, in the New Testament means to proclaim, to publish, and to preach? That, that's that's the, the word in the New Testament. So God doesn't want you running around with a literal ram's horn like some Christians do and proclaiming the year of Jubilee. He wants you to proclaim the year of Jubilee by proclaiming the gospel, by preaching the gospel, either with your lips or with your life. So, so that's, that particular thing, again, flows out, I believe, from Leviticus. Even, even the word preach comes out from this. Now let's move on to chapter 26. Now this is, is very good. Now I put this in my notes so, so I could go through this quicker. Um, the word, well first of all, chapter 26 
is the prophetic word to Israel. And God says that this particular thing will happen. The word if is used ten times in chapter 26. The word I will occurs 27 times. So God says, if you do such and such, I will do this. If you do not do this, then I will do this. And he lays it all out here in this chapter, and he tells them that if they do certain things, this is what he's going to do. And we would read this, and we would miss, I believe, a lot of what God actually fulfilled throughout um, the Old Testament because it's, it's, you, know, you have to really sit down and, and look at this. Now, you have four things in this, in this chapter, real quick. The introduction, which is uh, verse 1 and 2, where he says, I am the Lord. Okay, then you have the promise of blessing. Then you have the pronouncement of judgment. And then you have the prediction of what God says is going to happen. Now, in verse 1 and 2... You shall make you no idols, nor graven image, neither rear you up a strange image, neither shall you set, set up any image of stone in your land to bow down uh, unto it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Now, there are three things, three commands in these two verses that must be obeyed in order for the Israelites to maintain occupation of their land. Oh, gee, I'll I tell you what. <laughs> Can you draw the parallel? <laughs> and I'll give them to you. First, he says, make no idols. Second, he says, keep the Sabbath. And third, he says, Reverence my sanctuary. If they would have kept those three things, they would never have been dispossessed from the land of Israel. You and I have moved into a possession of the land, spiritually, and I believe these three things are also critical in our life for us to continue to occupy that land, whatever that land is for you. And that would be not to make an idol. Don't put things before God. Keep the Sabbath or, as it says in Hebrews, enter into the Sabbath rest. See, that's going to take an obedience on our, our part. And then there is the reverence, my sanctuary. You know, realize that God, you know, he's, he's holy. And so on. So those three things, are three things are necessary. Now, I don't have time to really go through this, so I'm going to give it to you real quick here. Now, in this chapter, from verse 3 through 6, uh, you have the promise of blessing. If they would, if they would uh, verse 3, if ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. He goes on through this here. So 
to truly occupy the land will depend upon obedience. So you, you want to continue to occupy the land spiritually. You, you know, you and I need to obey the Lord. Now in verse 7 and 8, And ye shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase an hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. That, those two verses there were literally fulfilled in the time of, of the judges with Samuel and Gideon and um, Samson and, and so on. And then further on in the scriptures, you see with Elijah, and then back, uh, go back to David also, you see these two scriptures here were fulfilled you know, in those times. Verse 14 and 15. Now this is the pronouncement of judgment. But if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these, uh, these commandments, and if ye shall despise my statutes, or if, ye, if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but you break my co covenant, verse 16, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning ague. That's a burning fever that was, was common in the land over there. That shall consume the eyes and shall cause um, sorrow of heart. And ye shall sow, sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Now, that was actually fulfilled also, in the time of the judgments, if you of the judges, you remember that that Gideon went down to the threshing floor, and he was threshing. Uh, no, was it the threshing floor? He was threshing wheat. But anyway, he he was hidden, and they were trying to plant throughout the land in hidden places because when they would would sow a crop. The Midianites would come like grasshoppers through the land, and they would take all the crops and the food, or the majority of it. So, so that, again, God tells them in Leviticus, if you do not keep my, my judgments and my statutes, that you will sow your seed, you will sow your crops, and your enemies will come and take it. Just as God said, his, as His word said, He fulfills and He's good for his word, to make sure it comes to pass. In um, verse 17, And I will set my face against you, and ye shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall uh, reign over you, and ye shall flee when, and, uh, when none pursue you. That was fulfilled during the, the Babylonian Captivity, verse 17. Uh, Micah says, Thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt uh, not anoint thee with oil and sweet wine, but shall not drink the wine. So when, when you see that in, in Micah, uh, God is, is speaking through Micah and just telling them that they had broken the covenant. They, they were not keeping their end of the covenant. And again, that was fulfilled. In uh, Ezekiel, 
Let me read this. A third part of thee shall die with the pestilence, and with famine shall, shall uh, they be consumed in the midst of thee. And the third part shall fall by the sword round about thee, and I will scatter a third part into all the winds, and I will draw out a sword after them. This happened during the siege of Jerusalem. Now, Daniel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all prophesy related to this, this time when Israel was going to be, or, or Jerusalem, be besieged by the Babylonians. Um, and then I believe it also can be applied to, to Revelation, some of this. Okay, now, verse 27. I, see, when I started to look at this, there's a reason why I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this, and I'll get to it in a minute. I started looking at this, and I say, you know, God is true to his word. What he says comes to pass. Whether we see it, understand it, you know, this didn't occur in their day because God was going to see if they were going to obey him or not. If they didn't obey him, he says, this is going to come to pass. And at a certain point, it did. Uh, verse 27. And if you will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sin. Now look at this verse here. Verse 29, and ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. In Ezekiel, it says this, 5.10, Therefore the fathers, and, now this, this actually took place. The siege of Jerusalem uh, by Nebuchadnezzar lasted eight months. Therefore the fathers shall eat the sons in the midst of thee, and the sons shall eat their fathers, and I will execute judgment in thee, and the whole remnant of thee will I scatter into all the winds. Fulfilled just as God told them. He told them ahead of time that this would happen. Maybe they didn't believe him. Maybe they said, well, I'm not going to worry about it. Let's you know, let, let uh, my kids or their kids worry, worry about it. It's not going to happen in my day. But God lets things, just like he does today, he lets certain things go for so long, and then he says, it's enough, okay, now I'm going to fulfill my word. And so he does this, and they actually boiled the flesh of people. I mean, we can't relate to that because we're so far removed. Lamentations, four, verse 4 and 5, okay, and then read from 8 to 10. The siege on that city was, was so long and so hard, they had no food for so long that it, it actually says there in Lamentations that the delicate woman, what's that delicate mean? It means the woman with the softer heart actually, because of hunger, did that. And God said it was going to happen many years before that. How true is his word? comes to pass just as he said, always. In verse 34, now he's talking about now, after he takes them out of the land, he raises the Babylonians, they come in, they take them out of the land. Verse 34, then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths. 
See, see, the Israelites weren't keeping the Sabbaths. He said, now the land will enjoy uh, its Sabbaths as long as it lieth desolate. And ye shall be in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbath. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbath when ye dwelt upon it. So they disobeyed, probably because of their logic and their thinking. They disobeyed God. And the Israelites, remember, you have the Sabbath here was every seventh year. They didn't keep that for 70 years. So that's 490 years. And God says, I'm going to send you now into, ba uh, into Babylon. How many years were they in Babylon? Seventy. Because of the Sabbath that they didn't keep. In, in bondage to others, the Babylonians, because they did not keep the Sabbath. Now, I like how God, he always, I taught this here once. That you can go through the Bible and you will see negatives in scriptures. God always moves from the negative to the positive. That, that's a spiritual, um, I don't want to say type, but it's a spiritual thing that I see in the scripture. When you see the negative, he'll always move toward the positive. Always. Now it looks as though they're dying or not. They're in Babylon. Now, in verse 40, in that I, I also have walked contrary unto them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham, will I remember, and I will remember the land. The land also shall be left of them and shall enjoy her Sabbaths while she lieth desolate without them. And they shall accept, accept of the punishment of their iniquity because even because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhorreth my statutes. See, the reason he did this here is because they despised his judgments or they despised God. And they, they you know, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We're not listening to him. Verse 44, I like. Now God's going to move from the negative, so to speak, into the positive. And yet, for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them, to destroy them utterly, and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. I will remember them. So as bad as things got, and as bad as these people you know, were, by, by not obeying God, he actually, you know, was merciful and actually brings them back. Now, I wanted to show you in this chapter that God's word is true. Now, we know that. But you can go through the Bible and you can see these verses and you can be assured that they will come to pass. The siege of Samaria was the same as the siege of Jerusalem. Did you know that? The siege of Samaria was 13 years. That's also here. It was a fulfillment of God's word 
where they, they besieged the city, the, the Babylonians. When God promises something in his word, you can, so to speak, take it to the bank. It will come to pass. If God shows you something personally from his word and you know it's him and you know it's the spirit of God, you can rest assured, Christian, it will come to pass because God is good for his word. Not like men today who give their word and turn their backs and, and don't you know, you know, follow through with what they say. God's word is true. His word will come to pass. And as he says it, it will be fulfilled. Now, I thought that that was a fitting way to end the book of Leviticus. That God is true. Just like it says, that let God be true and let every man be a liar. God is always true to what he says. And he will remain so for you in your life. Amen. This has been the final teaching on the book of Leviticus. We hope that this study has been a blessing to you. Please join us next week as we begin the study of a new book.